Good day, dear listeners. Steve Prilla here with the Management Blueprint Podcast. And today's guest is Pete Wilkinson, the founder of Reclaro, a provider of OKR software and expertise that helps business leaders set and cascade their strategic visions throughout their organization, achieving focus, alignment, and accountability for high performance and faster growth. Pete, welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. Thank you very much. Great to be here. I'm excited for today. Yes, I'm excited to have you here join us from, from the UK. Some listeners might have noticed your accent is not the regular Virginia accent, which is mine not either. So you're right. You can feel right at home on this show. Yes. So Pete, let's start with your journey. Uh, so what led you to creating a software for accountability, alignment, faster growth? How did you become the founder of Reclaro? What led you in your career to this point? Yeah, I've always been interested in business and had various businesses from a range of industries. Started off by selling towels around nursing homes and residential homes. And then we moved various things. And then my main career really began when I started at a company called Northern Electric. That's a big energy PLC here in the northeast of England. And that was really when I began to understand management and leadership. I've always been interested in the topic, but really when I started my sort of development in that area was with Northern Electric, was there for a number of years. I then ran my own retail business for a short while, about six, seven years. And then in 2013-ish, really got some traction around speaking and consulting. I designed a system called 135, which was a very simple tool to help people to execute better. I was a bit frustrated, Steve, with the amount of emphasis in strategy planning and not the same emphasis on execution. And during my MBA studies, it seemed to be a large focus on building the plan, but not the same on executing the plan. So... I dabbled with a few different things and came with this 135, which I used. And I did use it once to do my first Ironman triathlon, actually, which was to test the model. I then sort of speaking about it. I then did some workshops I designed around it. I then wrote a book Unstoppable on it. And then it was probably around 2016, started considering the idea, 2017-ish, around people were using the tool in a PDF format, which is good. There was some short fall with the execution on that because you've got a template and you've got not a live system. So 2017 built out the first version of Reclaro, which you, people will be aware of the concept of MVP, minimum viable product. It was very minimum viable product. So it was very poor. Then sort of 2019 started getting organized. Obviously you had COVID. But then 2020, I onboarded a couple of new people to join me. And then since then, I've been working in, with a couple of hats, really, the consultancy speaking hat and then Reclaro. And then where we are right now is I'm moving more into the full-time role as founder of the business, of CEO, building out the team and starting to get some good traction. So that's been a, a long journey, really, spanning back current times from sort of 2016, 2017 where we are right now. So it sounds like you're transitioning from a speaker consultant role into the founder role. Yeah. If you understand. 
And stepping the business, is that correct? Okay. Yes, yeah, so I did take a, a very short injection when I first launched around 2017. There's a scheme in the UK called SEIS, which is Seed Entrepreneurs Investment Scheme, and you can raise a small amount of money. Just And that was just to build the first product. But really, it, uh, yeah, we bootstrapped no VC, no PE backing, and we're just trying to figure things out, make loads of mistakes, try and do a little bit better the next time, and then crack on. And that's what the journey is. Yeah. That's exciting. When you can create a scalable business, bootstrapping it and keeping control of it, that's always, that's always a fun approach. Yeah. So Pete, you mentioned this 135. So what is this 135? What is this concept? How did you stumble upon it? Or how do you come up with it? Yeah. And how does that translate to triathlon and business? Yeah. Came about from initially a frustration on as I said, all the emphasis being on making the plan and deciding the strategy. And, and I get strategy. I love it. I think you have to have it where you design the strategy and then you have a system or process or plan or blueprint, whatever, to execute the strategy. And I think it all rests with execution. And I think that's often overlooked. If people go, I've got a great plan. And yes, that's important. But really, is a lot of plans stay in a draw and they never get executed fully. So I started thinking about this problem and I've always been very keen on the concept of vision. I've always loved the idea of having a longer term vision and a shorter term vision. And I've always been very interested in people who can build five, 10, 20 year visions and then bring it right the way down and say, so what does a great year look like? So I like the idea of goal setting, but I do believe people would benefit from having a personal vision in relation to their role. So if you were head of sales, a vision for what that looks like or head of marketing, what that could look like. So I started coming up with the concept of the sort of the where, the what, and the how. And in a 135, the one is one crystal clear vision as to what success looks like in a pretty short period of time, one to two years, nothing like five or 10, but what would what does success look like in, say, 12 months? In fact, in the platform, in the software, 85% of the plans are just for 12 months. So the one in a 135 is the vision. That's the way. The three in a 135 are three mission-critical objectives. They become the what. That's the sort of what must you focus on in order to get to the where. And the reason we have three, because I get asked this a lot, why isn't there a 155 or a 193 or whatever, is because... Um, in my speaking background, I've done hundreds and hundreds of gig speaking gigs, which is great, but I get to see businesses perform. And one of the reasons they don't reach their potential, one of the big ones is they're trying to do too much. I was on a SaaS course once with Dan Martell and he said, startups in the software space don't die of starvation, they die of overeating. And I think you do try and do too much sometimes. So the concept of having three main objectives, core objectives or mission critical objectives, is to focus on what must we achieve? I try and get away from, oh, we could do this and we could do this and we could have all this. And people have 33 objectives, Dave. And it's, they spend ages looking like bright, bright blue butterflies, dancing around, looking fabulous, but they don't last. You know, or they're like fireworks that look beautiful for 30 seconds. So the concept of three objectives is to say that if you were to nail these three, would that allow you to achieve your vision? And that's the test. That's the what. And then the how become five key results beneath each of the three objectives. 
So you have the very simple one, where you want to be. You have the very straightforward, clear three, which is your objectives. That's what you need to focus on. And then you have the five key results for each objective that are going to be the how. So it's a chunking down exercise. I want to get there. To get there, I need to focus here. And how I want to do that is these five key results. So that's the model. It was literally a bit of scrap paper coming up with the idea. Then we registered as our sort of trademark system. And then, like I say, wrote a workshop about it, keynote speaking around, wrote the book on Stockwell about it. And I've just gone deeper with that idea rather than go super wide. I've gone pretty deep with that one area to help people to build a series of succinct one, three, fives that just help them to become more productive, more effective and not have to work 150 hours every week, you know? Yeah. No, I, I focus that. what's important. Keep that yeah. focus. The 10% that delivers 80% of the result. It is. And it's that, that is that great book, isn't it? The 80 20 principle. Was it Richard Kosh or somebody? I think wrote Richard's that. Richard's book, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. He took the idea of Pareto and expanded it to a very sick book. But yes. it's a good book. And, and it is the principle. It's like, yeah. It gets away from what you could do to what you must do and what you need to do. And it just keeps you that focus. I keep saying it, vague focus produces vague results. And I think you've got to get specificity with this stuff. And the 135 helps you to do that. And it's a very, very simple system. And then Reclaro is just that system and a SaaS platform to help you execute really easy and bring it to life. But the principle is just less is more. Just keep the yes. really tight focus. It's a, yeah. I think people think they need more focus and what they really need is a tighter focus. You probably heard, um, they get all the guys and Apple, Chris, Tim Cook, sorry. What are you saying about it's as much of the things we say no to, the things we say yes to that make us successful at Apple. It's having that ruthless focus on really what you must do. And I, that's what excites me. And that's what really helps. Yeah. Uh, and and entrepreneurs are always challenged by the shiny objects that are keep flying around. And how do you yeah. say no to them and how do you resist it? And how do you can filter your ideas and create some discipline? And I love that. You call it an OKR system, objectives and key results. Yes. And you get your one vision, which is the long term. And then you have the annual three objectives and cut it down to just three. Three is more than yeah. that. Yeah. And then you have one or two key results for each of those three, I guess. This is how the five comes about. You don't have to have two unnecessarily. And if you focus on those, then then you're going to be good. So tell me how that translated to your triathlon practice. Yeah, I designed it and I was thinking about it. And of course, I've done lots of triathlon. I love exercise and stuff, but I wanted something. I wanted to do an event that would test my ability to be disciplined. I like to always talk about habits and power habits. And one of them is self-discipline. And it's different, but. When you, when, if you've exercised for a long time and you've done a lot of exercise, then things like sprint triathlons and half marathons are, are, are a difficult thing, but they're not a massive challenge. You can wing it a bit. But Ironman triathlon, I, I don't believe you can wing it. I think to do the full 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then the marathon at the end, you've really got to be committed to do that. And I wanted a test, uh, physically and mentally that, that would mean I'd have to commit. And that's why I, decided to go for Ironman. And of course, one of the first places I tried a 135 was in that format. So I had one vision across the line at a certain time and still be alive. Uh, three objectives, one for the swim, one for the bike, one for the run. And I had five key results for each 
because I wanted to get to the exit the water in under one hour 20, get off the bike in under sort of six and a half hours, do the marathon in less than four and a half, five. And that was the format. So but yeah, one of the first one, three, fives I built really was to, to get through Ironman. And then 2009, I had a slight challenge, I had a knee reconstruction, snapped the ACL, big operation, but I built another five-year 135 from 20, 2009 to do my second Ironman in 2014. Because when I got the knee done, the surgeon was like, no more running, no more triathlon, and Ironman's out the equation. But of course, I am a person who is very tenacious and likes to push what's possible and build another one to do that. So yeah, it's being used in a personal sense. Now, most of the time, is it's a business-led 135. And that's where most of the applications are within the system, within the platform. Yeah, so I'm going to go to the business in a minute, but I'm still trying to figure out. So for travel, I understand the three critical objectives where you had the time targets for for the swim, for the biking, and the running. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were the key results? So what so, yeah, so what were the five key results? Yeah. So the five there was five key results for each objective. For each of them. Is this yeah, was for each objective? Do you want for each objective five or do you want yes. five together? Five for each objective. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. And the reason for that is that there there was biking's one of my favorite sports now. If you think about biking, there is a lot to do in order to be able to ride the bike for a Ironman and be in a condition that you can jump off and run a marathon. So it isn't just about cycle training. So you would be doing leg strength exercises, and that would be around bench, about leg pressing, triple your body weight. I had to do some very good proprioception work around the knee. So it was a core contraction and building certain leg strength. Then there was certain training sessions. In the first Ironman especially, I just did lots of training. In the second one, I was a lot more smarter with it. So I did a lower volume. And so the training was around being more prescriptive around, is this a strength session or is it an endurance session? Is it a speed session? Mm -hmm. uh, and then there was the sort of stretching and the, the recovery side within the cycling. For the running, it was again around reaching certain milestones. So we had to run 10 miles in this time and holding this sort of pace. And so it was a case of saying, what would be the main results that would mean I could jump off the bike after, say, six and a half hours and be fresh-ish. I use the word fresh in a broad sense, but relatively fresh enough to then run the marathon. And of course, there was also some sort of mental training in that because I can specifically remember both of these Ironman were in the UK and normally Ironman runs should be flat. Normally, they're not hilly because it's a very big challenge. But the one in the UK, we came out of this place. It was in Bolton in Lancashire. And you come out of the sort of football stadium and the first part of the runs up this plumbing steep hill. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is really hard. And I can remember it was a hot day and it was the first eight miles and the feeling of quitting within that first eight miles was almost overbearable. It was really, really difficult to keep going. And that was where the mental strength training that I'd done, which was part of the program, training in different weather, pushing yourself, maybe training when you don't really want to, building that mental strength, taking it off. So there was some of the key results around that concept, because when you do something very demanding physically, it does move beyond just a fitness level, putting one foot in front of the other. You've got to have the mindset as well, which 
I think parallels with with business. I think business is an endurance sport, as is as is Ironman triathlon, and I've done lots of other events as well where you have to push yourself and uh, get control of the mind. So I think that goes in tandem. So the key results were around, largely around leg strength, technique, measuring against against the power output. Can you hold that? And then also dealing with the sort of mental side of it. Because if you think about Ironman, Steve, I don't know if you've ever done one, but when you think about it in its entirety, it's almost overpowering. I find it almost overpowering. Getting your head around, breaking it down to a series of steps and just ticking them off. And that's the only way you can really do it. Because yeah. you, you start a race thinking, I'm going to go for a hundred and whatever it is, 40 odd miles here. It's a pretty yeah. long width. I've run a couple of the marathons, but I have not done the Ironman. It's still in my future, I believe. Future, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but marathon running is the same, isn't it? I mean, doing a 5K is one thing. Doing a nice 5K, get, doing a marathon and, and pushing past that point. I think once your body starts going over three hours, gets towards four hours and beyond, I think you're in a different place. And I think having the skills to get over that physically is very important. But I think the, I think that strength... And the way you approach a marathon, an Ironman, whatever it might be, I think can be applied to business because you are breaking things down to see the results and you might not feel it's initially working, but you've still got to have the hope and the faith that it's going to come good and you've got to keep at it. So I think there is parallels there. My dad was also an athlete and he always told me that when he was a teenager and he did his long runs, he was a modern pentathlon runner and he said that he was always just focusing on the next tree, just get to the next tree and then shift his focus to the following tree. And I am I, I do that as well. And it works uh, really well. Somehow it tricks the mind so that you just have to get to the next tree and yeah, just keep shifting. So this is a great segue because one of the concepts you talk about in your book, Unstoppable, is to create and develop an unstoppable attitude. So what is the attitude part of this? I understand your mental training, but how do you make your attitude unstoppable? I think. One of the biggest things that peak performance, if that's what you're looking for in terms of business or personal, is I think one of the big things you have to consider is the idea of persistence. And I think having an Ironman attitude, having an unstoppable attitude, having an attitude that just you keep moving forward is this concept of persistence. And that's why breaking things down to more understand, understandable milestones like the next tree or the next lamppost or whatever it might be. And so I, I do believe that this unstoppable attitude is around clarifying where you want to go. So I always like the concept of five-year vision, 12 plan. So for me, knowing where I want to be in five years, really getting clear what that looks like with some a certain amount of clarity. Well, it's not a five-year plan, it's a five-year vision. So I'm not playing out the objectives and the key results of goals for five years. I'm getting a five-year vision and then bringing it right down to a 12-month, one, three, five, mm-hmm. which means I'm going to get around 20% of the way there. That's part of what having a non-sort of attitude is about, is, the, is building the belief through repetition of certain habits mm-hmm. to build this discipline that when you say you're going to do something, you do that thing. That, that's what I'm talking about. Pete, when you say that you got the five-year vision and then you build the 135, so this one in the 135, this is not the five-year vision. This is a different it's vision? A, it's a shorter-term vision, which is want to be here in five years' time. That's the stretch. That's the big sort of the ambitious vision. Mm-hmm. So 
then your one-year vision is, so what does success look like? And if it was calendar year, what does success look like at the end of December? That means I'm going to be around 20% of the way there. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? So it would be like, it's still aligned to your five-year vision, but if you built a five-year vision and you got there in 12 months, it wasn't an ambitious five-year vision. It's going to take time to do it because it's a, it's the big stretch. It's the top of the mountain. It's the horizon view. What does that look like in five years? Where do we want to be? Where, where should I be or expect to be or want to be in 12 months? And which that's, is, that's you know, 12 months. Sorry to interrupt. So this yeah. 12 months, is this like a vivid vision kind of thing where you describe your vision in 12 months? Yeah, you would normally describe Yeah, you would describe it. I would normally think about questions such as what you're doing, who are you doing it for, how are you doing it, what is the value you're delivering, and what you're getting in return. So I, I do believe you think first about what you're going to give, and then secondly, what you're going to get in return. So it's giving in order to receive. It's a natural law of giving in order to receive. And then when you say the three, after that, the three objectives, do you have typical buckets for those three? Or do yes. you see anything? No, they could be anything. But I would say if it's in a business sense and you were part like a CEO or type of top team member, we see around 80% of the plans at that level are based around the three buckets of strategy, operations, and people. Mm-hmm. Well, the first objective is around strategy, which is largely linked to the number. Could be revenue, could be impact, could be sales, whatever that is. Second one is often around operations, the operation that you want to be delivering to your customer or to your internal customer, could be a team member, but mainly to the customer who's the client and the customer who's paying, the, paying for the service. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is generally around people, which is making sure we have the right people in the right place, at the right time, doing the right job. Okay. So we do see a very large proportion of the high-level plans in Claro being around strategy, operations, and people. So when you say strategy and being revenue and impact, can you give me, okay, revenue, I get it. You want to get to $5 million, $5 million, pound, yeah. whatever it is. But how is impact different from that? Is it about serving a certain number of customers? Could be impact or is it... Yeah. Becoming I mean, a different level of thought leader. What does the impact? Yeah. So, so what you said there could be that as well. I was talking to one guy earlier today and we were talking around their strategies around opening up new operations in different countries. So theirs is about creating impact in a new country. This particular company is very good in the UK, but they want to have a really great presence in Germany. So part of their strategic objective is around expanding into Germany. What is the next, what would a acceptable level of performance look like from a German launch by the end of December? Would that be a certain office established, certain number of contracts signed? What does that look like? And that becomes the objective by the end of December. And then the key results would be, so how are we going to those first few customers? What does the offering look like? Are we going down partnership route? How are we going to achieve? These customers, you know, what does that look like? And then it stems from there. So I always say with the objective, you must have a very clear outcome because almost, not, not always a hundred percent, but I would really say at the high, I do strongly believe that it's actually the outcome you want rather than just the objective. So for example, you go, Oh yeah, we need our strategy. Brilliant. That's the objective done. But did we get the right outcome? And the outcome could come from. The impact that, you know, that objective has delivered. 
So if we get, if we jump over to people, which we always get a lot of questions around the people objective, everyone wants to have a high performance team, Steve. Oh, the objective is to build a high performance team. Great. But I would challenge them to say, so what would be the outcome of a high performance team? Mm-hmm. Because if you're growing at 10% per year, would a high performance team grow at 21%? Is that the outcome you want? Because it's okay to say we've got a high performance team and you can tick a box for that. But what does that mean? Yeah, it has to be tangible. So, yeah, when, yeah. So high performance team, maybe you want 20 people who are eight out of 10 on a 10 scale, or they have to be all eight players or eight players. And, and they, yeah. And your team is delivering a benchmarkable best in practice profit level or mm-hmm. revenue per full time equivalent, mm-hmm. or the team are delivering a record breaking net promoter score. Mm-hmm. So you've got a high performance team and they're really taking care of the customer much more than others. So if the average in your industry is 54, you're 85 percentage points above the average in their promote score, there, ha- there has to be some measure mm-hmm. that shows that they are in fact a high performance team. It's pretty easy in sport because you've got the benchmark, haven't you? It's like talking to a guy who used to do a uh, hundred meters breaststroke and I can swim a little bit, but this guy can go up and down a 50 meter pool. And in the Commonwealth Games, he finished he won the Commonwealth Games. He was the first person to get under 60 seconds, 59 something, which is amazing. But he knew exactly what elite looked like in that field. I think it's slightly harder in business, but I still think it's worth working it out and having a benchmarkable result that you could only achieve if you are in fact a high performance team is a good way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we got the strategy, which could be some kind of strategic objective, outcome. Let's say get into the new market, launch a new product, launch an MVP, or get a certain number of customers, perhaps. Yeah. Operations could be maybe... Is Customer it- experience. It's the experience, the person who you're taking your product to experiences. So it's the operation. In, in the UK, we have lots of different hotel chains, and there's two I can think of at a certain price point. And they are similar price points, but one gives a very good, very much different customer experience than the other one. And that's down to the way that they, the way they deliver it. The product's the same thing. It's a hotel room, but the operation in how that's delivered to the customer, me in that example, is very different. So I like to think of operation around not just the efficiency and the effectiveness of the operation, but the quality operation being judged by the customer. So that could be case studies. It may be net promoter score. We ourselves measure net promoter score and part of our operation measure, but also the number of case studies. And the impact the customer is experiencing when they interact with us. So things like our service levels, the speed of responding to queries and questions, things like that. I think that's what we like to get people to think about in operation. Okay. Now, our time is coming to an end soon. So what I'd like to, however, ask you before we wrap up is the three three to the five. So you go from one, okay, you've got a big strategic uh, objective for this year, 20% to the vision. And yeah. then you've got the three areas. You've got strategy, operation, people, yeah. which could be getting into a new product, new market, a certain level of customer experience, people, a net water score, or how many A players like it to write seats. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've got the three. And then you've got the five. Now it's five each that's 15 yeah. critical objectives. Isn't that too much? 15? Once we go into the detail with the customer, we find it's difficult for them to only have the five. So I know, like I've read John Doe's book on Measure What Matters, and he's two to three to five is the sweet spot. For us, 
we like to get people to think quite detailed. And if you think about back to launching in Germany, as like a, the outcome is a successful business launch in Germany, there is easily five key results that you would need to focus on in order to have a successful launch. It's who we're selecting, what's the market offering, when we're going to tip, what price point, how do all that works? What about allegiance, alliances? Can we piggyback someone who's already there? There's a lot of stuff you could do. So when you start really breaking it down to be an action plan, mm-hmm. an OKR action plan, then there are easily five actions, results that you should be focusing on to have a successful launch. And likewise with the operation, delivering a really great customer experience, there's easily things you could look at there. The people one, we often see companies forget about the induction program. They start the induction program too late, Steve, the start of when the person turns up. It should be started months before the turn up. So how could you have a world-class induction program? Because if you're going to attract A players, how are you going to go about that? Are you doing the scorecards for each role? What do they look like? Once they land, what's their first 90 days look like? Your training program. You do you have a buddy system? There's easily five key results there for people. So actually, when you get right into the detail, we often find keeping it to five is a challenge. So we ever really have a customer that goes, I've only got three main results. Because if this is a 12-month plan or a six-month plan, the objective should be fairly big. They should be testing. They should be a stretch. This is not business as usual. So there's a lot of work required to hit them. You know? So it, I can see this working for a company. So the company has this big goal, get into the new market, launch a new product. And then you have the different areas. And then you have but the leaders of those functions. So you have maybe you have a sales leader, you have an operations leader, you have maybe an HR person or someone who is in charge of recruiting. And then they have the five metrics each. Yeah. Uh, I can wrap my mind around that. However, you said that this can also be applied at the individual level. So yeah. At the individual level, would someone have 15 key results for themselves or for the individual, it would be fewer? So if we think about a typical installation, if you like, it would start with the CEO in the center radio out to the leadership team, which could be head of sales, head of ops, head of people, head of marketing, head of finance, et cetera. It then radiates out to the management team. So we normally stop a full 135 at a manager or team lead position. So to that point, everyone has a 135. If they are a frontline worker bee, then they don't own a 135. What they own is milestones from their manager's 135. So at that level, the manager would be having a 135 for their, his or her department, and then the team members would be required to execute certain milestones. They would receive those as a delegation for their contribution. They would see the plan they are part of rather than owning a plan. So it would normally go CEO, leadership team, senior management team, and depending on organization, maybe supervisors. So if somebody's responsible for a few people, they would normally have a 135 in order for overseeing and managing those few people. The people in that team would need to see the plan they are part of and receive delegations to make an impact, but they wouldn't require their own plan. So the only time it's different is if you do a one that's based around personal development. So we do have some customers have 
personal development at 135s to help someone to get up towards a management position. But most of the time, it stops at a sort of manager level. Okay. For the so it's a small company that maybe only the CEO has a 135 and that gets cascaded and everyone contributes to it. The bigger company than the leadership team, the leadership team members also would have their 135 and that yeah. cascade down and their teams would help them. So depending on the size of company, you may have one or multiple levels of 135s. Correct. Yeah. We give you a live example. We have a customer who has around 45 people doing around 8 million pounds revenue. They've got 13 people using the system at different levels. So that will be out to 45, there's 13 using it. And then we're going to roll out to the lower level plans, which is the milestone only. And that's going to be for what you would call the frontline face-to-face worker team people. Okay, that makes sense. All right, so Pete, fascinating. So the World 3.5 can really help a business execute and focus on getting to their vision, not just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So if someone would like to check this out, learn more, maybe connect with you and learn more about Reclaro, more, more about the software itself, where should they go and where can they find you and your product? So for the product itself, it would be reclaro.com, R-E-C-L-A-R-O.com. We have over 110 blogs on there. We have lots of free resources. So there are 135 templates for CEO, head of sales, head of ops, head of people, etc. You can download those. There are OKR guides, lots of content on there. Me personally would be Pete Wilkinson on LinkedIn. Okay. That's where I'm most of the time. All right. Okay. So reclaro.com, Pete Wilkinson on LinkedIn. Pete, thank you. That's a very exciting uh, product you have. And this kind of rests uh, these OKR principles, which there are different ways of talking about it that measure what matters. But it's not as clear as you explain it. I think you put the meat on the bone here how that can be executed. So fantastic. Thank you for sharing it. And for those of you listening, please check out reclaro.com, check out 135. And if you are interested to learn more about the journeys of people like Pete, who are coming up with management blueprints that can help your business execute, then stay tuned next week. So thanks for coming and thanks for listening. Thank you.